live from third period French class and brought to you by Pillow Pets. It's a pillow. It's a pet. It might be a pillow pet. I'm Delmon. And I'm Alicious. And this is EQ2 Talk. This is episode number 31, and we are recording on September 3rd, 2011. And Allie, why still don't we have theme music? The dingo took my baby. Ah, oh, cracky. That's a wallaby of an excuse, Allie. No. But even though the dingo has gone on walkabout, we do have a stack of emails again this week from listeners. We certainly do. So let's dive right into this week's mailbag, shall we? Alrighty, our first email comes from... Indibuff. Hello again. I just listened to the podcast and I agree and disagree with your responses to my recent email. Of course, it's not your job to do anything for other players. No one should ever feel they have to do anything in a game. That being said, you also have to face the reality of the game today. It is extremely top heavy and a seven year old game would be. That's natural. The point I was making is that in order to attract new people, Effort would have to be made on the part of the community as well. Delmon, community is vital to an MMO. On that, I suppose, we may end up having to disagree. I think what has to be looked at on the vet's part is that coming up on this game today is totally different than when you guys leveled your first tune. You had other people, lots of them to group with, and learn your tune. Yes, the game was harder, but then there was community to support that kind of play. Coming into the game today is much different. It's quiet, the streets are empty for the most part, and what little you see on chat is not very positive. I thought many times those first few weeks in Norath about looking elsewhere for a game. I think it was easier for me, as I had just come off another game after several years of raiding and was just looking for some quiet play for a while. After a time, I was hooked. This truly is a unique game and a full and fleshed-out world in which to play it. You learned how to play your tunes by grouping. Okay, point number two that I will disagree with. There is nothing SOE can do to really teach people how to play their tune. If they make it harder so that you need to group to complete, then no one will be able to complete as there's just not enough new people on the live servers to support it. SOE has had to make the changes they have in order for new people to even play the game. So you get what we have now, a game that is solo for the most part until 90 even if SOE were to devote a bunch of time and resources into a whole set of class quests to teach people to understand their tunes, it still would not give someone an understanding of the dynamics of playing that tune in a raid situation. Only group play will do that. And that is something that really does not exist for the new player starting out in the game today. Again, it's the reality of a seven-year-old game. As for negative talk in chat, I was referring to complaints for complaints' sake. Now, as for you two, here it comes. You both do something vital for this game, something that is a big positive for the community, and it's this podcast. If you did nothing else in game whatsoever, you still should be proud 
of what you contribute to the game. You give a lot of your time and effort into putting this together and supporting this game. And for this listener, I thank you. It may not be popular to say these days, but I think the changes that SOE has made in the game since I started playing have made a lot of sense for the most part, even if at times I did not see it at first. Even after GU61, which I, I even will say has been very trying so far, I just don't see this don't care attitude that everyone seems to accuse them of. It's so easy to complain when something is wrong, but we also need to remember we are all here because we enjoy this game, so they must be doing something right. Still listening, signed Indebuff. So, Dell, what did you think about Indebuff's email? I think I agree with Indebuff. I think we will agree to disagree on some of the things that we talked about in the last episode. As much as I believe community is important, I do not think it is the end-all, be-all. I think it's an enhancement to gameplay, but I still think this is a game. It's very important. I do not disagree with that. I just don't think that it is the end-all, be-all for an MMO. Yeah, I do agree with you there, um, but I also do see where Indebuff is coming from, I think, more now than I did the last time we recorded. Uh, and maybe it's just my mind's in a different place. She's looking at things from, I think, more of a big picture point of view. And for the most part, I agree with everything that she says. But it, in the end, it doesn't really matter because we all have our own opinions and we all are players. And I think hearing from different points of view is a good thing, especially if your point of view represents other people, which I think Indebuff does. You're right. We have and we always use this term now, the veteran point of view. We are both day one players, so we know what it's like to have played every day for seven years. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that have changed and evolved over time are in our rearview mirror. So they don't affect us as much as it might be affecting other players. So, yes, we do have our point of view, and it may be slanted towards our experiences in-game, and it's impossible, I think, for us to completely devoid ourselves of our experiences. Mm -hmm. So that is a real challenge. And I, I will admit I am coming at it from a veteran's point of view who is in an active raiding guild, who does have a lot of opportunity in-game. Maybe that is why I am prioritizing it a little lower than other players are. Well, and also I'm thinking in terms of um, one of the other points she makes about the thing that I sort of um, focused on the last time was teaching people how to play their class. I do agree with the fact that grouping and raiding is really the only way to fully learn your class. But I think there are ways that they can incorporate into gameplay that maybe teach you the beginning part you know, practicing on uh, mezzing things, for example, if you're a, a coercer or, or an illusionist, practicing on taunting. I don't know how that would be done, but uh, they do this for a living. They design games. And, you know, I'm sure there's a way to incorporate that somehow. They used to have the um, guild city raids. Or I don't remember what they were called. Do you? This, the city writs, the guild writs. Guild, yeah, it's a, it's a guild. Well, those are still in game, but they only go up to a certain level. 
Um, and those were kind of the training ground for, for raiding in their, in their heyday. So something along those lines, but for individual classes. I don't know. That's just one thought. I guess my point being that we have different ways of seeing things, and it's, it's good to hear all sides, especially since a lot of times Del and I are sort of seeing things from the same side, which isn't necessarily the best thing. So it's, it's great to get feedback from listeners or people who, have, who are relatively newer to the game than we are especially if they've played other MMOs. So we are very grateful to have that feedback. You do make one interesting point there. Maybe I can go a little further on it, though. This practicing gameplay, not sure if it would really work. I I take it from a sports analogy. You can scrimmage all you want, but nothing gets you completely prepared for real games other than real games. Right, but I mean, you have to learn how to pass the ball, like the technique of throwing the ball, right? You can't just go, just go play a game and know how to throw the ball. You you go to school, you go to training, you go to camps, you you get training on how to throw the ball, right? Right, but nothing can simulate game time conditions. I'm not saying that anything could. All I'm saying is it doesn't hurt to practice throwing. And having a built-in system to walk you through that would at least open your eyes to the fact that, ooh, look, I can actually throw the ball, like mezzing or taunting or whatever. Does that make sense? It it does. I guess I just don't see it really in a practical sense because, yeah, you could set up a a danger room-like sequence for learning to mez. But until your tank is taking damage and you're waiting for the healer to react, is he going to heal through it? Do I need to mez these? There are so many things that are happening in a dynamic situation like that that you can't build a a test case for it without making it look like a a scripted event. So I I can see the value in it. I guess I just don't see how it's practically done. Uh, I guess my my point isn't that it's going to make you a better player. Okay, my point is simply that it would give you the building blocks of being able to start down that path. So, for example, for a scout, if you don't know what evade does, you don't know how to detaunt, you're missing a big chunk of the game. If you're in a group situation, does anybody teach you how to do that? Does any scenario really teach you how to do that? If you don't know it exists, you're not even going to know how to practice it. You know, if you if you aren't introduced to, I mean, there was some point a while ago, remember when we were doing our show us your noobs thing? There was a point where they removed certain, the introduction of certain spells, combat arts, more complicated aspects of of classes. Mm -hmm. They removed those from the lower levels. So you don't actually get introduced to them until much, much later down the road. Correct, because in your example, there would be no need to evade when you're soloing. Right. But if you don't know that that's even there, you don't really know what it does. It doesn't really do anything for you as a soloer. And if you're soloing, you never would use that. A group situation or a raid situation, no one is going to teach you that. You're never going to... How do you even know it's there unless it is drawn out for you? Well, And that's my point, I think. Knowing it is one thing, 
putting it into effective practice and therefore use, those are three different phases. I guess I'm not talking about use. I'm not talking about that part of it, I guess. I guess knowledge is what I'm talking about. And maybe a little bit of practice. I don't know. Maybe it's just too much to ask. It's all wishful thinking anyway. These are elements of the game that don't exist, and we're arguing about it. (laughs) Fair enough. So let's move on to the next email, which I have here. Good idea. And it is from Osa. And Osa entitles their email, Podcasts, Loot, and the Pursuit of Happiness, with about a half a dozen exclamation points. So we must be very happy. Delmon and Alicious. First off, I would like to say thanks for providing me and all the other listeners with the very best EQ2 podcast available. Del, I have listened to you religiously since you were the host of EQ Tuesday. Not to mention you, Allie, whom I also love and feel that you are of equal importance and a great host as well. I'm writing this in response to your podcast number 26, entitled, I'll Give You Something to Cry About. I think that SOE should make some changes to the loot system. I, too, am not looking for genius loot, as you put it, Del, but would like to see some changes towards smart loot to avoid the treadmill effect. I would like to start off with public quests. I've been doing PQ since the launch of DOV, and I run approximately two to eight a day. I have yet to loot my breastplate on the two tunes I have been playing. According to the forums, SOE states that your chances of getting the best loot are relative to your participation in the PQ. I have been within the top five on the parse and DPS and actively helped to succeed in all aspects of the raid, yet no breastplate or robe of the ruination, to be exact. I have contacted SOE customer support to see if maybe there was an issue with my loot options on the backside, but did not get much help. They said that they looked into it and all is working as it should. For me, it is very frustrating, especially when my best friend has looted the scout breastplate four times and the dominant weapon three. Oh, and not to mention my wife looted her breastplate on her second try. I don't mean to sound like a whiner, but I was ready to close my account due to frustration and the treadmill effect, and even told SOE when on the phone with customer support that I was to the point that I was going to cancel my account, and they said, okay, let me transfer you to the cancel department. I know that I am not the only one who feels that this is an issue, but I still try, regardless of the grind, to get my drop. I would like to know what do you think should be done, or is it at least fair when it comes to drops on PQs. Anyways, I don't want this email to be completely negative, so I will stop my rant. By the way, Ali, you should not trade skill naked. The Farsi Supply Division Armor Set and Attunable Items for Trade Skilling are far too good not to wear. Love the show and have spread the word to all my EQ2 friends. Keep up the awesome work. Signed, Osa. And I have to say thank you, Osa, for putting the phonetic spelling in there specifically for me, who is a level 90 Froglock Conjurer and 36 Sage on the Oasis server, formerly known as Befallen, and his alt theme, the 90 Human Paladin and level 90 Master Armor. So, Elliot, what are your thoughts on what Osa has to say? Well, he talks about smart loot, our smart loot topic, uh, specifically about PQ loot. So I thought I would start there. Um, He's right when he says that SOE tells you that you have a better chance of the best loot in the PQ, depending on your participation. Uh, However, I believe that only relates to the level or the tier of the loot. It doesn't 
relate specifically to the breastplate and the weapon because those are considered rare drops or rather maybe they're more like uncommon. Well, maybe they're more than that. Maybe they're rare. But in any case, those are, you have a chance of getting those with the highest level of loot. So assuming you do get the highest level of loot, it's a dice roll whether you get the breastplate or the weapon or not. Your participation has to do with your level of loot, but the the breastplate and weapon are a chance within the best level for everybody. So it's just bad luck. And I know that doesn't sound like a good answer, but that's the only answer there is. If you roll a die six times, your likelihood of getting a six is still one in six. It doesn't mean it'll definitely happen. It's just a one in six chance. Thinking back, I think I remember Windslasher commenting about loot during PQs and implying that he would never use randomization again in assigning loot. And I think it's exactly because of what Osa is talking about here, where one person can show up one time and get the top reward and walk away, and I never need to do that again. And there's folks like him who are trying it over and over again, and are just, well, they're just unlucky, unfortunately. Yeah, I hadn't uh, actually heard that from Windslasher, but if that's really the direction that they're planning on going, I think that's probably a wise move, uh, simply because there are so many people who are frustrated by this sort of randomness to the best loot. It was at the time, it seemed like a great idea as a way of making people come back to do the PQs, to have enough people to do them. Because, I mean, it would be a bad day, I think, when you end up, you know, with new people coming in or whatever, trying to do the PQs, and there not being enough people to run one and get the best loot. I don't know if we're there yet. I haven't been in a while but the frustration factor, I mean, if someone is close to canceling, I mean, I have seen people close to canceling their account and really, really frustrated by that. This, the fact that they can't get the breastplate or the weapon. I myself still haven't gotten the weapon yet. Not that I would use it, but the, that frustration, there's got to be a better way to do things to not get people that frustrated because it's just not fun. Right. Losing is never fun. But the only alternative I could see for them is to go to a tokenized, be it gold and platinum, or some other type of shard, trinket, widget, whatever you want to call it, where you do it enough and then you go and buy it. That way everybody puts in the same amount of effort and gets the same reward. Mm -hmm. That goes a little contrary to my, my belief of what an MMO is supposed to be. You know, I guess in my head, an MMO, not everybody's created equal. But if you do this tokenizing system, it is. And, but, and then it becomes very predictable. There's no rush of opening the chest anymore. Oh, it's just going to be full of 20, you know, in a raid scenario, it's just full of 24 tokens that we all take. And then at the end of the night, if you've got enough to buy the breastplate, you go over and buy the breastplate. I can see how a token system might work to solve this problem of the frustration factor. However, I'm not sure I like it big picture wise. Uh, it just seems to me that if it's tokens, it would just end up being sort of a grind. Like 
okay, just like with shards, I have this many tokens I need to get to get XYZ pieces. So let me just grind it out really quick, get my pieces and be done. Whereas the way it is now, it sort of, it's already a built-in method to sort of encourage re-participation. Does that make sense? It does, because then you introduce this whole, is it heirloom, is it no trade, do I grind on my main so I can equip my alt? I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what all the answer is to this either. I, I hate to hear that, you know, this fellow's having the problems with not getting loot. And, you know, heck, we joked how many weeks about Dell being pantless because of the same problem. Yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I don't know if I, I'm not keen on really either solution. Random is what it's always been, so that's kind of what we keep doing. I don't want to tokenize everything. And then we might as well just do it all in plat, right? Because ultimately, plat is just a token itself as well. Yeah. <laughs> or a station cash. That's kind of a token. <laughs> yeah, that's another type of token, too. But how do we build all these things in? And then are you going to have tiered tokens within? So we got PQ level type token and, and this other type of token. And so that you can only get it proving that you've participated in that type of event. We don't want, we, we've got enough monetary systems already. We don't need more of them, I don't think. But we need to solve this smart versus genius loot. I don't know if they keep a track, a counter in the back where as the more you participate and the, and the more unlucky you get, you get some additional no. luck factor. I don't know. They can't do that. They can't do that because there's too much variance, I think. You're going to end up with it being unbalanced. If you already have it unbalanced to begin with, if you try and balance it out by by building in another layer of, you know, oh, this guy's been unlucky 90% of the time, so we'll bump him up for that next one. I don't know. I, I don't like it. There's got to be some way to fix the frustration factor. But I'm not a game designer, so I don't have to come up with the answers. <laughs> right, because ultimately, like he says, you get on that treadmill, yeah. and you're going to want to cancel your account, and that's not good for business. But just handing out top-tier loot for showing up once is not good business in terms of building in replay into your game either. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a sticky widget, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Oh, and one last comment. We do want to all see you trade skill naked, Allie. Well, just for the record, yes, I, I, that, that's very literal. This trade skill naked thing was actually just for the, the podcast. I don't trade skill naked. I do have the Farsi's... Um, armor set and the almost the full set. I'm still looking for the sculptor's choker. I have been unlucky myself in loot drops. It keeps dropping the scribe or the Fletcher or whatever. And the provisioner, I have sold I don't know how many chokers, but I haven't gotten my sculptor's choker. So I might cancel my account. <laughs> Well, you heard it here first, guys. She podcasts naked but tra trade skills completely clothed. Right. Next yeah. email. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> That's next, what I heard. Yeah, I'm sure. Our next email is from Boris again. If you remember Boris from the last time. I do remember Boris. I wonder if he has gotten moose and squirrel yet. <laughs> How could you forget Boris? Hello, Del Delicious. This is Boris again. I really enjoyed your original show. No other gaming podcast does the comedy and references you guys make. 
I really enjoyed the Raider episode where he had spiders on that was very enlightening into a hardcore guild. I've never heard a less than 1% Raider speak so freely about their methods and play styles. I want to let you guys know that this is a very special podcast and you guys don't take yourselves too seriously. That is what makes this a great podcast. And this is the only EQ2 podcast that's been on for a year. I'm a new player to EQ2 and have enjoyed my time in North so far. I found out through several CS calls that I did have an account back in 2008, have resubscribed, and now can play on the live servers. I don't remember playing EQ2 back then, but there was a lot going on back then with the meltdown and such. I have a few questions for you both, and you can pick up any of them as a show topic, as I think this would benefit newer people, including myself. Number one, what are veteran rewards? How are they received? And what is the benefit of it? Number two, are there any add-ons that are must-haves to make the gameplay more simple and lessen the clicks needed to open bags, combine items, make stacks of an item, or add-ons slash mods for the UI interface that are good for adventuring or raiding? Utility add-ons or mods are usually good to have with the default UI. I think this would be a great topic to make a show out of. A quest add-on would be very helpful for finding mobs or locations. Number three, what tips would you give any player who's being offered a guild invite? Stay away from ninja invites? Ask questions about rules, policies, loot distribution? I've been in a few guilds over the years when I played that other game, and drama is inevitable when human beings are involved. So drama-free guilds are almost oppressive in that if you have a problem with another guild member, you can't address them directly. You have to bring it up to officers, and they decide if it's a valid reason. Drama-free is a misnomer, as drama will happen when people are involved. And number four, what websites would you bookmark for EQ2 news, updates, and comedy? Thanks in advance, signed Boris. So, Del, what did you think of Boris's email? Well, Boris asks a whole bunch of questions, so let's tackle them in reverse order, I think. And the first one he asked about are what websites are on our favorites list. I have to say one of my most favoriteists of all the favoriteists websites for EQ2 is uh, EQ2 Wire. And 1A after that has got to be EQ2 Wiki. I think both of those sites are really good. Wire gives up-to-date information about what's going on, news and commentary. And the wiki is a fantastic resource for figuring out quests and timelines and locations and spells and items. Both great sites. Yeah, I would have to say if you have only if you only read one site for news, go to EQ2Wire, my opinion. Because he does all the reading for you and you can just read his little commentaries and, and snippets and not have to worry about fishing through pages and pages of forum notes and patch notes and stuff. So, but I would also add in there, um, after the wiki, I would also add in Zam is a good site as well for some of the quest walkthroughs and special events going on. They usually have stuff up and running, ready to go as soon as an event launches. So they're, they have really great stuff there for events and special um, once a month activities and things like that. Also, don't forget about Ultra MMO, which if you do rating, it's a community built site that has raid strategies built basically by the people who do them. So, um, it's a, it's a really good resource. 
And he also mentions comedy. One of my favorites is Cheese Pirate. You read Cheese Pirate, Del? I do read Cheese Pirate. I find it very funny. Yes, it cracks me up. It does. It's very well. It's it's funny because it's so accurate. And Cheese Pirate does uh, has done signatures in the past, uh, and I bet if you see Cheese Pirate, you will recognize the style uh, from a lot of signatures, well known signatures on the forums. Um, makes me laugh. Very funny. Uh, the third question was about guild invites. For me, and this is really just my opinion, I would never accept some ninja invite for a guild. I know people do it out there. I'm just not. I'm just not for that. Really? Wow! If Ninja invited me to join his guild, I would say yes immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. I, if if somebody's so willing to take a shot on you blindly, do you want to take a shot on them blindly? For me, whenever it has come time to join a new guild, I do a lot of research. I look on forums. I have watched my chat channels. I check out guild recruitment forums. I do my homework to find out if this guild is a good fit for me even before I begin to reach out and talk to them. So I think just the randomness of it, to me, you get what you pay for. Now, sometimes you may strike gold. I I think more often than not, though, you will end up striking out. I agree. Um, I think he talks about drama-free guilds being oppressive. Uh, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it because there's so much emphasis on being drama-free that you can't address a problem openly. You have to go sort of behind, you know, to the officers and whatever. And that's an interesting thing. But I do agree that drama will happen with people no matter what. Um, I, I wanted to mention a couple of months ago, there was um, a book that came out um, by Farrell. It's called The Guild Leader's Companion. And he's selling it on Amazon for really cheap I downloaded it for, uh, for my Kindle and started reading it. And actually, even though it's written kind of for guild leaders, people who are put in leadership positions, you can actually learn a lot about how leaders think or how officers think by reading this book. It's not necessarily for just the leadership, but also for participants. So if you're interested, you can check that out on Amazon. It's called Guild Leaders Companion. Okay, Boris's next question was about add-ons for the game. I think my most favorite assist, again, add-on would be ACT, the Advanced Combat Tracker. There's a lot of really useful information in that when it's running now. You do have to do a bit of homework and understand how to interpret that data and what all is it telling you. But I think it's fantastic for improving your gameplay in terms of spell orders, what wards to cast at certain times to get the best bang for them because of the type of damage that's incoming, setting up timers and whatnot. I think that's a really good add-on that will help improve your personal play. Um, There's also a ton of different interface mods out there, and they're all available on EQ2 Interface, which I believe ACT is on there, and a number of UI options. I personally use something called Drums, which is clean and simple and not too different from the default UI, uh, but there's more functionality in there. Uh, And I use another sort of a mod for questing from Fluffy, 
which is another favorite website of mine that I'm always reluctant to tell people about because then that means they can get more quests done than me. But Fluffy is one of my all-time favorite uh, sites, and there is a quest journal mod on Fluffy's site. There's one more add-on if your guild is into rating and it's Guild Connect. What it provides is a ACT-like environment, but in a closed box. So for folks who do not want to get into all the details that ACT can present, they're able to use Guild Connect. It can put your entire guild on one timer and present the information to everybody in the same way. Helps lighten the load on some people who don't want to have to go in-depth and get down and dirty with all the details that ACT does provide. Well, his very first question was about veteran rewards, how they are received, and what are the benefits? Well, the veteran rewards are on your EQ2 button in-game, and if you're wondering what they all are, you can go up to everquest2.com. Under the community pull-down is veteran rewards. They are all listed there and how long you have to be a veteran in order to get them. My very favorite veteran reward so far has to be the Call of the Veteran, which allows you to port to somebody in your group or raid or bring them to you. So you can go either way. So if yours is down, somebody else can bring you. It's like it's basically like a Call of the Hero, only you don't have to be a conjurer. <laughs> and you can do it across anywhere in the game. You don't exactly. have to be in the same zone. Exactly. You can do it from your guild hall to wherever. Yeah, that one and in, in, in conjunction with the Miss Moore Crag Estate, for me, are probably the two best rewards. The estate having a large house and rent-free. Of course, rent-free. I don't have to pay it and people can come to my house and buy my stuff. And they can rate your decorating. Yes, I haven't been getting a lot of good comments on the my decorating skills, other than one person told me it's decorated as exactly as how they thought it would be. <laughs> Spark, sparse? Yes. Messy? No, sparse. <laughs> okay. Got All some right. salesman crate and a, and a bulletin board. Maybe we need to hook you up with Jester. Maybe Jester can help you with your house decorating. It's not a part of gameplay that I'm very much into, but that's okay. A lot of other people do enjoy it. So thank you, Boris, for that email. Oh, and by the way, we should mention um, all the stuff that we talked about, all of these links you can actually find on our website, eq2talk.com. And keep getting moose and squirrel. Our last email is from Sprouts, and Sprouts entitles his email, Instantly on the Sidelines. All right. Even though I have had this issue explained by veteran players, I would still like to discuss and vent some. I have a swashbuckler, my main, and an assassin that had full sets of master-crafted dexterous leather armor. Agility was the main stat on that equipment before the itemization change. After the change, agility had been completely removed. The reason is that my characters slash class would be wearing chainmail armor. If that is the rules of the game, then that is fine, and I'll be moving forward. In the following section, I'd like to get a couple of personal notes off my chest first and then explain my thought process when it comes to crafted gear in general. First, the personal. Whether or not my characters were wearing the correct armor for their class, the armor was very relevant for my class when I made it. I spent a ton of time collecting rares 
working my trade skill, and buying advanced tailor books to specifically make this armor for my characters. I've been left with basically two worthless sets of armor, a list of needed rares, and a trade skill to work up, and advanced trade skill books to buy. All of which pretty much have to be done before I can get my main back to adventuring. I basically just got kicked in the nuts, and a sorry everything you have done over the last several months is pretty much a waste of time. One question to the algorithm that made these changes. What's a synonym that starts with A for the word dexterous? Now that I've vented, on to my thoughts on crafted gear. Why would leather, and for that matter cloth, not have greater agility than chain and plate? When is the last time you saw or read about a ranger wearing chainmail, other than maybe in a major battle they might, just for some added protection? But most of the time the ranger will want to be agile, The swashbuckler, again, agile. The assassin, agile and quiet. Chainmail, not so quiet. (laughs) Now, do I think they should not be able to wear chainmail or plate? Not at all. But there should be a drop in agility and a bonus to mitigation and resists. A fair trade-off and an ability to adjust my character on how I want to play them. If I want maximum DPS and I don't have to worry about being hit, I should go with cloth. If I'm going to need some resists, leather. If my character does more sword fighting and tanking, then chainmail, and then plate. But the trade-off on agility for resists might be quite steep and not worth the trade-off. I guess what I'm saying is, why does it have to be one way or the highway? I think players like options, and to be able to mix and match to spec their characters how they like. This also helps new players. If items make logical sense, that is to say cloth leather is more agile than plate, you won't have situations like mine. One last note. I'm not saying that you can't use magical armor to make wild combinations that defy basic logic. But the base of the game should follow a certain makes sense logic. Any class should be able to wear any armor slash clothing they want, but there will be trade-offs for doing so. This would also solve some of the appearance issues that people have as well, kind of as a side effect. Sorry this was a long one. Signing off, Sprouts. So, Ali, what do you think of Sprouts' predicament that he lays out in his email here? Well, first, uh, I feel really bad for him that he had to remake armor. I know that can be really super expensive, and it's unfortunate he's not on my server because I could do it for him for free. And probably give him rares, too. This has to be looked at sort of from the big picture. All the things that he's talking about, it's almost like growing pains to me. The landscape of gaming has changed so much over the last seven years. And EQ2, having been born seven years ago, it's a very complex and intricate and detailed system I mean, it's a world to us, but it's a system, really. And I think that what the developers are struggling with is how to simplify that complex system to be more uh, streamlined, more lightweight, I guess, going forward for for their purposes, to enable them to continue making content for us. And these are growing pains along the way. With the stat changes last year, that changed the way everything works now going forward. But the old gear, or I should say lower tiered gear, didn't 
match up with that new system. And so now they have to go back and make these changes. Hence the changes to the armor that Sprouts was wearing. So I guess it is an unfortunate side effect. And that's not a very pleasant thought. Right. It's unfortunate for Sprouts that he was kind of caught in the middle of this change. And it personally affected him because because the value of his gear became, well, much lower than it was before. Uh, ideally, he may have not been wearing the best gear according to the gameplay mechanics, but now it's even it's even more worthless now because of the stats changed that were on it. I, I agree that that the changes that we're seeing are not necessarily predicated by making the game easier for us players, although that can be an effect of it. But as you say, it's so that the designers can produce more with a smaller staff under tighter time constraints and whatnot. So simplifying the game benefits players a little bit, but it also benefits them more because they're able to produce more faster. Now, this change that they implemented with DOV wasn't retroactive to go back and fix all the other gear until much later, and that's what we're seeing now. Yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate, I think, but necessary because they they made a choice a year ago to change the stats, and what we're seeing now is the follow up to that to get everything else in line, and it's painful for everybody. I think it's painful for us, but it's also painful for the developers because there is. You know, I don't know if anyone's seen the numbers, 50,000 items, 50,000. That's a ridiculous amount. And if they didn't do it now, it would just be that many more items to deal with down the road. It's tough, but I think it's just something that we have to get through. I'm just going to nitpick one of the words you said there, that this is the follow-up from it. I'd actually maybe spin it a little bit different and say it's the fall-out from it. <laughs> okay. They made a decision to change the, the gameplay mechanics and only apply it to, I would say, half the current tier. We're still in the same tier as Sentinel's Fate, but they only made that change in DOV. And as a guy who was playing an alt, my the evil monk, in some of those lower tiers, it was difficult to understand the mechanics at the at the DOV and beyond range but not have that applicable to where I was playing now. Uh, granted, I was only playing one, two, and in an alt, but I can see how this was very difficult for folks maybe over, like Sprouts, on the Freeport server who aren't at endgame yet and are still moving through the game to have something at the top tier affect them but not benefit them. It almost kind of counter-benefited them. It made their life a little bit more difficult. And in, in Sprouts' most recent case, as they're trying to correct that change that they did back in, what, last year, now they're finally getting around to it. And as you say, with the 50,000, there are so many opportunities for their script to go awry. In in this case, it didn't really go awry necessarily. In his case, it just had a undesirable outcome for him. Let me ask you something about what you said. And this is a point of confusion for me, probably because I've been at max level for a long time. 
And when this change happened, the stat changes happened with DOV, I was already max level. Do the stat changes affect new players? My understanding is that the way they changed the stats actually changed everybody. They just didn't change the gear except for half of the current tier. Correct. When we say half the current tier, what we're really talking about is DOV. Correct. Correct. Here's an example of that that I think explains it. The evil monk was running around in some crafted leather gear that I think you, Allie, had made for me on your tailor. Mm Mm-hmm. He was still wearing level 40 gear because it had, I think, like 40 strength and and 40 stamina on it. Mm -hmm. And all the other stuff that he's getting is, you know, high in in strength, but not that high. And other things that are completely of, of zero value to him. So those quest rewards that I was getting as I continued to level were were junk because this level 40 gear that matched the new current play style but had ironically not been touched. It just kind of happened to luck out and be that. So I'm still running around in four, level 40 gear at level 70 because it's still the best thing I can get. And that's that's where it can get very confusing. Why am I still wearing level 40 gear when I've gone through the 50s and the 60s and I'm getting all this stuff from doing the quests and doing kills, but there's zero value add in it for me? Okay, so the stats do affect people at lower levels. Sure. It just isn't. Okay, see, that's where I was a little confused. But I think for Sprouts, the the scout is a more complicated situation, especially a swashbuckler and assassin. Because those classes used to be based on strength and intelligence. Nobody cared about agility because agility comes naturally and you don't really get any more bang for your buck with agility in the old days. It was intelligence for poisons and strength for damage, maximizing your damage. And agility was sort of, eh, whatever. It was was avoidance. It was used for avoidance. Right, but it was just sort of not that big of a deal. It didn't add to your damage. So for Sprouts, the choice to wear leather, which had a lot of agility, actually made a lot of sense. That but it did. now he's kind of kicked in the nuts, as he says, because it doesn't have agility anymore it has strength and stamina because it's designed for monks and bruisers correct so he got screwed unfortunately he did unfortunately he did because the script went through and said oh this is most likely designed for leather tanks and it had agility on it because avoidance was important to leather tanks before now it now that doesn't come from that anymore so it was it was an unnecessary stat, so it gets stripped off. Well, that script thing you're talking about, that's maybe we should talk about that. Because that's kind of what happened with Update 61. Pretty much. And as you were saying, there were 50,000 some odd items. There's no way a person or a team of people or you could hire enough people off the street to go through 50,000 items by hand and figure out what to do with them all. Right. So they wrote some script to go through the database and try to apply some form of artificial intelligence 
to make these items to what they should be. Now, obviously, computers are as only as smart as the people who program them, and there was no way to foresee every combination and look at every person. And, and in Sprout's case, they send him an email that says, hey, by the way, your gear is going to become worthless based on our algorithm now. It's unfortunate, but that's kind of how it happened. For good, bad, or indifferent, it's really the only solution. Mm-hmm. Now, I think what would have been a smarter solution would be to not try to do the entire universe all at once, not mm-hmm. boil the entire ocean, <laughs> but to have done it in, in tiers. Let's work through tier one, the one through nine gear, and get that all squared away. And then move 10 to 20, 20 to 30, and move forward. Not necessarily doing them all at once. Maybe it'll take you a year to get through them all. I don't know. But they could have moved in a more methodical way and corrected their script as it went along. Right now they did all 50,000 items, and now they're getting tons of one of, one of bug reports of every problem. Yeah, and that can't be easy to go through. It almost seems like it would be easier to go tier at a time, but then do you really get all the feedback? Yeah, I don't know. There's no, there's no perfect solution here. Mm-hmm. There's no way you were going to have somebody go through by hand all these things that were created by hand in the past. This, this, it's overwhelming at this point. It's completely overwhelming. And, and to say, well, we should have never done the stat change. Well, that ship has sailed. Yeah, it's it's too late for that. It's too late. We're, we're, we're already gone down a path. It is what it is now. I think it was a poor decision to make a stat change and only apply it to half a tier. I, I think that was a poor decision. But Yeah, I, I agree. They're doing right by us now by trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, making 50,000 changes, and we're just using that as a generic number, making 50,000 changes, there's no way they were going to have a 99.999% accuracy rate and make everybody happy. Well, not if you try and do it in two months, no. And certainly no matter what they would have done in that scenario, Sprouts would have still been kicked in the jimmy. Right? <laughs> yes, He was going to get kicked in the jimmy no matter what happened because if if we're looking at it from a what is everybody wearing because they're wearing it because they should be wearing it scenario, mm-hmm. well, Sprouts was kind of in the wrong then. He, he was right in sweat that he was still slightly wrong, though, if you're looking at by the book. Now, he was right to wear something that had agility. He was right in the new playbook. The old playbook is you should be wearing chain. You should be fitting into this category and wear what we tell you to wear and you will like it. And too bad if it doesn't have agility, just wear it because that's what you're supposed to wear. But he was right to choose something with agility. So he was already halfway there. But unfortunately, he spent a bunch of rares and time and effort and he, he leveled up a tailor to do it. That's hard. And unfortunate that now he needs to roll a monk. <laughs> he can either, you're right, convert to a monk or redo all his armor. And I guess at the end of the day, Sprouts was wearing something that was legal but not ideal. And the script applied ideals to the system when it was making those changes. And he just got caught in the middle. And I'm sure he's not alone. I'm sure there are other players in this same boat as well. I, I sympathize, 
but that's about all we can do really is sympathize. It is what it is. And as we've been saying, the stat changes are what they are and the methodology that they chose to try to go back and fix the fallout. It did as best it could. And now their solution is we'll have to deal with the one of problems. And that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like it or not. And I think as painful as it is for us, it, it didn't affect me personally until last night. Okay. It didn't affect me personally. So I was like, ah, 61 is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't know what all these people are complaining about. Mm. I looted an item on the, on the evil monk. Went to a, I said, oh, wow, this is better than the charm that I have. Let me put it on. And then I realized, why won't it go in the charm slot? It had no slot. <laughs> and what I do you mean? It had no slot. On the item, there was no slot for it to war. I just assumed it was a charm because of the icon, I guess. Ah. Well, was it? I don't know. It still well, has no slot. <laughs> well, what did it used to be? Did you look it up? Uh, I did not look it up. Okay. I, no, I, I stuck it in my bag, and then I think I found another charm later as I was leveling along that outclassed it anyway, so it's probably going to wind up on the vendor. Yeah, I. Uh, this it makes me... This update makes me so uncomfortable. It makes my skin crawl because I am, it's that OCD thing. It's just like, it's driving me crazy knowing that there are items out there that are like this. I just, uh, it just, it's like nails down a chalkboard. I, and I don't think I'm the only one. There are so many people who play EQ2 have OCD. <laughs> seriously that are anal to a fault and it's it's painful this is it's it's enough to make you cry in a corner really have you not had a moment i have had my moment and what i remind myself every time i have my moment is what annie told me the sun will come out tomorrow <laughs> i just gotta grin and bear it and then i'll win it. The sun won't come out tomorrow. We it have will, to wait Allie. Don't a worry. year for this. This cleanup is so slow. It's going to be awful. The, the cleanup The cleanup will be forever. Cleanup on aisle 12. <laughs> there will constantly be breakage in aisle 12. Oh, but I, just I have faith in the team, and maybe, maybe I'm being a little too rosy. I'm looking too much with my rainbow and unicorn eyeglasses on. But they are doing the best that they can. Yes, they are doing the best that they can, and they're already making changes based on feedbacks and bugs. They're already doing that. They were already doing that like the day after it went live. Exactly. So even though it might have been Sprouts who was, in this case, specifically kicked in the nuts, we all feel the pain. But for all the guys out there, that pain, as much as it hurts and aches, it will subside at some point. It will go away. It, it has to. Until we get kicked in the nuts again, and then we start it all over again. Mm. But we've all taken a nut shot, but we've survived. And I think that's maybe the message from this. As painful as 61 has been for all of us, it will subside. Yeah, I think you're right. The sun will eventually come out. We just have to get there. But I think that one thing we should say is we can all help them get there faster if, and I'm very loath to say this because I was just on my soapbox about not being responsible for, for fixing things or for uh, making the game a better place. 
But I think we can take a book, a book. We can take a page from Inda Buff's book and try to do something to help, which if you really want to help, when you see an item that's wrong, that you know is wrong, that is not the way it used to be, and you, you know is not the way it's intended to be, submit a bug report, submit a feedback, make a list of items and give as much information as you can. I think they really mostly need, I need item names, things that aren't right. So if you, if you, I've already submitted a few. Um, and I think even if you post on the forums in the appropriate place, if you have a list that would help, but I do believe that bug reports and feedback reports are getting looked at on a regular basis. You're exactly right, Ellie. That's how we make the sun come out even faster. Rather than sitting on our hands and bitching and moaning about how bad it is, we can be part of the solution and provide that feedback to them so that they can address them as quickly as possible. Right. And the ship's already sailed. We just have to we just have to wait for things to get fixed. And there's only so many developers working on this and we have to do our part. Well, we don't have to, but if you want to see it get better, then when you run across an item, I already, like I said, I submitted bug reports. There's one in, uh, I have a lower Templar and I noticed the waste slot, actually the waste slot of mastercrafted jewelry, I guess it's considered because it's made by jewelers is inconsistent with the way it used to be. I don't know if it was deliberate change or not, but my, healer and my mage both lost their waste slot item. So I ended up replacing them. And actually my Templar lost her weapon as well, which Delmon made for me. So I ended up buying one off the broker, which had an adornment in it already. Very nice. So I, I know it was um, unattuned, but whatever. Four plat, no big deal. So yeah, uh, just submit your reports and item names is the most important thing. Well, speaking of the sun coming out tomorrow and more sunshiny things, do you have a least favorite and favorite thing this week? I do. My least favorite thing is the Mission Improbable achievement. Uh, this past week, I earned the Mission Impossible, which I got for completing 1,000 missions in-game. The next tier is the Mission Improbable. As soon as I got Mission Impossible, it changed me from having completed 1,000 to 665. So now in order to get to improbable, I have to go from 665 to 2,000 instead of 1,000 to 2,000. I was really bummed about that. Although I am happy to have my secret agent title, kind of bummed that I lost credit for almost 333 missions. That's bizarre. Well, maybe they can get that figured out. Did you bug report it? I did. Oh, good. Yay. Well, my least favorite thing, you're not going to like this one is the New Hellas City task, Brittle Bones Arising, appears to have been taken out of the game. And I hadn't had a chance to do that one yet. Yeah, it's the level 78 writ from New Hellas, uh, and that quest giver is in Kylong Plains on the dock there. But the mission itself is supposed to be for the Moors. And I think what happened is they took it out because they changed the way the writs are given. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. I dislike when they remove quests from the game, being the questaholic that we both are. Yeah. 
So that's unfortunate. And and what's even worse is that I had to wait until my alt on the second account got up to level 78 so I could mentor to her and try to get it. And I could only get Slytherin and Glyden. So I guess we really need to blame you for this, that you didn't level fast enough. Exactly. Bummer. I know. I should have been ground, grinding. There should have been more bonus XP weekends. <laughs> My most favorite thing for this show is, you may now congratulate me, Allie, I am now Destroyer of Brownies. Wow. 10,000 dead little brownie suckers. I killed them all. That's awesome. That's some, awesome. some with nuts, some without. <laughs> but yeah, got the, got myself the Destroyer of Brownies title, finally. Not sure what I'm going to turn on next, What what creature needs to fear me the most in-game next. To get another destroyer title, but that's that's a pretty popular one because everybody likes the title destroyer of brownies. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So my most favorite thing this time is actually kind of tepid. It's um, the Beast Lord Prelude event. I love Prelude events, and uh, I started it on Alley, but unfortunately, I haven't been able to complete it. There's apparently some kind of a glitch, and I can't see the entrance in Nick. Forest. I haven't checked it today, but it wasn't working yesterday at all. Oh. But hopefully I'll get that done because I, I love the Prelude events. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to start that yet. It's on my list of things to do. been distracted by the double XP so far this weekend. Oh, I hear you. I was uh, glued to my chair. Yes, I have also been glued to my chair grinding out those last few levels for the evil monk. But let's do the alley angle question now. Okay, I'm ready. All right. So, Al, your question this week is, Last weekend, the East Coast was battered by Tropical Storm Irene, and while Dell was sitting in the darkness as he had no power, he had a chance to think about things like Eye of the Hurricane, storm surges, trees falling down in his yard, and gale force winds. And, Allie, Dell wondered, what are three things in the game that blow you away? Alrighty. Well, my number three is actually the new SOE server status page. It doesn't seem like a very blow you away type of thing. Uh, and as a matter of fact, in and of itself, it doesn't necessarily blow me away. But what does encourage me is that it's something new on the website. And it's something they are actively working on. It's, to me, a really good sign that there's movement on making improvements to the website, which everybody sees and gives people more of a reason to go there. And they've already been making significant improvements to it based on player feedback since they announced it, which is, I think, also really encouraging. Yeah, I'm really pleased to see that as well because my first thought was, I think, much like yours, is this a prelude event to EQ2 players being revamped and coming back bigger and better than it has in the past? So I'm excited that they're starting to expose some of this stuff, so... Maybe there's things in the works for us. That is my ultimate hope. That is my ultimate hope. So I can get that quest list back up and see that I'm still ahead of Delmon. Because that's what it's all about. The next thing that blows me away about EQ2 is the details. Everywhere you look, there are details. From the sweeping panoramas you see when you're flying through a zone and how the lighting changes depending on what type of terrain it is, to 
the zone art on the walls in a place, say, like Silent City, which is the basis for the new dynamic dungeons, or one of them anyway, um, you can see some of that DOF zone art in there. If you turn your graphics up, you can see even more details, all the way down to the tiny little details on character models. So on my Wood Elf, for example, I have these little tattoos on my back that, depending on what I'm wearing, you can see more or less of. And another thing I noticed a while back is when you're on a horse and you turn one way or another, your character's head turns with the horse. It's little details like that that make the game feel more real. You're absolutely right. It's it's the little things. I remember back in the day when I think I first got to Everfrost and I saw characters' breaths. It's it's little things like that that really give you that immersion value that the world is real and it draws you in more. So absolutely. It's the little things that you necessarily wouldn't expect. And I thinking about the horse as well. I was backing up the other day and just like when I'm driving in my car, my tune in game when he puts his horse in reverse looks over his shoulder to see if there's anything behind him. It's just little things like that that make you go, huh. It, it, there was no reason to put that in, but it includes that immersion. It makes me feel like I'm really part of the world. And my top thing that blows me away about EverQuest 2 is the layers of gameplay. There's always something to do, and with whatever you choose to do, there are layers within that. Take, for example, trade skilling. I have crafters I've been working on since launch, trying to execute this grand plan. And I have all these interim goals along the way. To reach max level trade skiller, I can choose to do all the recipes in my book. I can make things to sell along the way on the broker. I can do trade skill writs. I can do the trade skill quest series that are spread throughout Norath. I can do instances. I can go after the crafting epic. And then after that, I can do the Coldane Prayer Shawl. There are faction recipes to work towards in Kunark and Sentinel's Fate. I can offer my services and channel and make items for people that drop in instances. And that's just trade skilling. I mean, there are layers in every area of the game that you can partake. And there's a rich history and lore story beneath everything, which, again, makes the game feel even that much more real. Yeah, that's a really good point. It, it, it's interesting you talk about that, that layers of gameplay. As you were talking, I was almost thinking it's, it's, it's almost like uh, individual aspects of gameplay are almost three-dimensional. You know, we, we see them in three. Some are closer to us. Some of them are farther, farther away from us. And we can choose to go forward and, and go in depth into something more than we are today. You know, even say like raiding or something. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day when you said, oh, I, I raid, that meant one thing. There was one stereotypical raider. Well, now, with the way the game is, is laid out today, you can raid on many, different, on many different levels. You have hardcore on one end of the spectrum. You have occasional or pickups on another. There are so many different ways to enjoy one aspect of the game for as much or as little as you want. And I think, I think that's great. I, I do agree with you. I think that's wonderful. And actually, now that you were talking about that, there, there's I have a, a favorite way of raiding, <laughs> and it's actually not really raiding at all, or maybe it is, but um, now that we have the self-mentoring, you can revisit those old raid zones with a smaller group of people and actually really enjoy the content without having all that stress of raiding, and you can enjoy the 
encounters and the zone art and everything that's going on. And, and almost as if, if you've, if you've done that content in the past, it's almost like a little stroll down memory lane, you know, going back and doing like, say, uh, labs, you know, with, uh, Lord Viam in there, mentor down, go in with a group of, of people that you used to hang out with or whatever, just go in with a group of friends and it's almost, it's like a stroll. It's like a stroll in the park because it's so easy. You don't have to worry too much. You know what I mean? A- absolutely. The stress, the stress of the, of the real time encounter when it was current content has gone away. Mm-hmm. The, the need to succeed. Yeah. So in review, Allie, the three things that blow you away in game, number three. The new SOE server status page and what it might bring for the future. Number two. The details. And the number one thing that rocks you like a hurricane and blows you away. Layers of gameplay. So is there anything else for this, the 31st episode of EQ2 Talk? No, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Okay, so let's say thank you to everyone who took the time to download the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to the folks who emailed us this week. We also want to say a big thank you to Pillow Pets, this week's corporate sponsor. Sometimes it's a pillow, sometimes it's a pet, but most of all, it's a pillow pet. And don't forget to check out at NFLshop.com, exclusive NFL-licensed pillow pets, dolphins, falcons, Packers, Bears, oh my. And creepy Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> if you have any suggestions, comments, feedback, want to talk about any of the things that we've been talking about here on EQ2Talk, you can do so in a couple ways. First, you can send us email. So for me, that's delmon at eq2talk.com. And I'm Allie at eq2talk.com. If you want to catch us in-game, for me, that's slash tell eq 2 dot unrest dot delmon d-e-l-l-m-o-n and i'm eq2 dot unrest dot alicious a-l-i-s-c-i-o-u-s hey and if you're over there on the facebook you can toss us a like if you'd like at facebook.com slash eq2 talk and don't forget you can also chat with us in our in-game chat channel which is eq2 dot unrest dot eq2 talk and don't forget, also on the Twitter as well, you may follow us, so you can find us at twitter.com slash eq2talk. Thanks a lot, everybody. We hope to see you all back here for episode number 32, and say goodnight, Allie. Goodnight, Allie. And the little furry pouch... You know, the more you do this, what? the more I'm going to stick it in the outtakes. What's a hash brownie? I couldn't even do it with my finger anymore. Stop looking at me. Do agree with the fact that you can't. You've seen the pillow pets. Start. <laughs>